Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Sanjay from Nottingham, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, Dane, do you believe in God? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody, welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Sanjay from Nottingham's question... Dane, do you believe in God? Sanjay, this bit section of the show is only supposed to last a couple of minutes, so... But that's not, not, not as a bad question. He is living exactly up to what we say on the tin True. of this podcast. So, Sanjay, thank you for the question. I think we're gonna also going to revisit this on our next live recording of the podcast. So nice. look out for that, yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, date to be confirmed. Um, but I would say, to keep a concise answer, um, I do... I don't like to use the word believe. I know there is a God and I say God is love. Mm. So that's the most concise answer I can give. I know there is a God and God is love. When you consider how love works and how it is described and articulated within our culture, that would be the closest way to describing God as a phenomenon too. As opposed to a guy in a white tunic with a big old dick the size of a planet, which is just weird. (laughs) (laughs) What a really awkward book. I wrote a really awkward book, which yeah. never requires any updates. And apparently, like, <laughs> despite the fact that he can create an entire universe, and needs. If money. they started updating <laughs> the Bible like they update my iPhone, it would never fucking end, would it? Well, how you know what? But that's, it's funny you say that because if you were to ask me on a large scale about spirituality and religion, I think the folly of religion is that it doesn't work like science enough, and uh, science doesn't work religiously enough. In that, you know, science. I mean, religion should, like science, have theories that they regularly test in order to change when they come to a different conclusion and change the conclusions mm. of the truths they believe to be within religious doctrine. And I think science should have a idea of divinity and understand even though they can do certain things, doesn't mean they always should. Mm. Interesting. Like fracking. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> Sanjay, I listen, I hope that answers your question. And suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely, Howard. As you know, we like to answer questions and we like to take a walk uh, through the human mind, but we don't have a God complex, so to speak. Um, But we answer all the questions. And if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of our questions and answers from all of our very, very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a stand-up comedian, actress and writer. She's been a professional stand-up comedian since 2004 with her debut show Beth Becomes Her detailing her transgender story it was nominated for best debut at the Leicester Comedy Festival in 2016 she was cast as Helen in Russell T Davis's Channel 4 show Cucumber, Banana and Tofu where she was the first transgender actress to play a leading role in 2020 Beth won the Joe.co.uk Comedy Award if you don't know by now get to know it's the best 
best bedroom I've ever seen on this podcast today. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Miss Bethany Black. Oh, thank you, Dane. Hi, welcome. Hi Howard. Welcome. Thank you for having me. This um, is wonderful. Let's just describe the bedroom to the listeners. We're talking about some serious hulk posters um <laughs> and uh a lot of other there's a Catwoman poster there's some good geeky memorabilia going on right yeah there is it's my yeah it's it's essentially what you're seeing right now is my twitch background which is uh i've got like uh yeah i've got a poster of lots of silver age marvel comics uh covers there's a little wolverine poster that's sort of just off camera mm. i've got a little tardis in the back uh from when i was in doctor who and i can and also little, see the super mario cube as well yeah Super Mario coin cube in the background, nice. and uh, yeah, I yeah, I'm, I'm such a nerd. Yeah, and I'm not, co- I'm not even going to, I'm not going to apologise for that anymore. I've just decided to lean into it. It's a good. <laughs> the nerds have won. That's the, the Avengers of the nerds was a complete yeah. success, and the nerds have won. Listen, I think the Avengers is one of the highest grossing films of all time. Yeah. Avengers Endgame, right? Yeah, which yeah. means the nerds went to war and we won. And, yeah. and let me tell you something. I, 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 my wife is a massive geek, as I've met, said many times on this podcast, and we have started watching all of the Marvel films in uh, order that they were re- released. And yes. blimey, just because you've got the Marvel stuff on the walls, you realise yeah, yeah. that those films are superb and actually better consumed in the medium of television because we're not watching each film like one a night or anything. We're watching it yeah. over a few nights. Amazing. Absolutely it's the amazing. thing that I, the thing that really annoys me at the moment in the way that people review those uh, review Marvel stuff is that they seem to think that you uh, they seem to have forgotten that the Marvel comics have existed for decades and have worked in the exact way that the films and TV series are now working exactly. and they're going oh people can't remember this and w- what's going to happen like if you haven't seen all of those things you can't just jump in but the thing is you can and they make it work in a way that means that it does work much better when it's consumed as a whole but you can just go and watch the Absolutely, that you're it, it, it works on a number of levels, like comics do as well, man. You're seeing like yeah. a lot of action, like you know, very good script and like an in-depth script and funny witty. But there's also like a longer narrative as well, so you're willing to indulge it, just like with comic books and stuff as well. So yeah. you know, I think you know a lot of the detractors of something like uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe are people that have been weaned on reality TV for a long time, yeah. where yeah. most of the archetypes and the characters and the protagonists they meet are so insignificant that you have to write their name under their name write their name under them when they appear on screen just to remind people of who they are. There's a reason why when you watch Towie and, like, uh, you know, Made in Chelsea, they have to keep reminding you of the names of the people involved because they know the things that are taking place here don't really resonate with people, so they have to yeah. remind you. They are. I mean, I've currently been writing a piece about uh, about Marvel Cinema because I've been writing for a couple of film magazines recently and I've been writing a thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it's so much of it is about our individual and collective responses to trauma. Um, Avengers Assemble is essentially like the big... It's American art um, experiencing and sharing what it kind of felt like to be in America at the time of 9-11. And that's kind mm. of what it feels like. It's um, And, you know, all through sort of like the history of culture, we've always had like horrific things happen and then having to try and comprehend them. It's like Theodore Adorno, the uh, German philosopher, who was sort of saying that trying to write poetry after the Holocaust is just uh, a horrific thing to try and do. Because when you've seen such horror, how do you even try and express that in any way that you can go and without diminishing it somewhat. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think, absolutely. 
that's so much of what's going on and and so much of our culture is about how we've reacted to the horrible things that have happened to us in a way of trying to make sense of it which is Mm. why i absolutely adore film and television oh yeah yeah i mean i mean that's that's that really you know film and television really are the mediums by which human beings realize their humanity like that's the whole endeavor with the creative industry or just i should say creative pursuits rather than the industry is that the idea is that I'm taking a concept or an experience and trying to make that tangible and perceivable to other human beings because we're a social species. That's how we're able to imprint. So, yeah. you know, like there's obviously the appeal of these films, particularly given the current zeitgeist, where, you know, there is obviously a yearning for human beings at large to find more exceptional people able to lead the rest of us into you know more prosperous or utopian times. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're just becoming a lot more sensitive and aware of a lot of the political intrigues. Yeah, because yeah. so much, because so many of those stories, they were immigrant stories. That's how they started. Yeah, yeah. So many of them were, they were the Jewish immigrant experience of arriving in the US around about the time that the Nazis were rising in Germany. Yeah. And the responses to that and the ability to take power back. And so mm. some of the stuff from around that time, incredibly problematic when you look at it now, but from where it's gone, from where it started to where it's it's got to, there's been such a good, it, there's been such a like uh, a well developed evolution with those. Yeah, comics. One of the biggest boons of comics has always been escapism, and I think anybody who's yeah. from a historically oppressed group, like having the ability to escape and project onto archetypes, which you know provide that avenue of escapism and fantasy, you know that's always going to yeah. have infinite importance to human beings as long as we are anchored to this mortal coil. So. Yeah. Well, it's probably it's probably time for a question, Dane, as the format of this show dictates. I mean, that was a brilliant. That was a that was almost like a question in the preamble, Dane. It never usually gets that deep, does it? But there you go. Um, but no, it's time for a question, I believe. Uh, absolutely, and uh, Bethany is our very esteemed guest. We invite you to ask the first question. Any question you would like, which we will discuss for fifteen minutes to some change. Then Howard will ask his question, and we'll do the same. Then Lather is repeat. I'd like to ask you a question, which we discuss for fifteen minutes or so. Um, and then we can uh, have our listeners find out where they can find out about all your good works and presence throughout the internet and otherwise. And then we all go on to leave wonderful lives and we all sit down and we wait for the next episode of The Winter Soldier and the Falcon. So, <laughs> oh, does that wait. sound like a plan? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. So the floor is yours to ask the first question. Yeah, so I suppose my, my question is, where do you find peace where do you find tranquility where are you most feeling at one with the universe around you what inspired this question for you uh beth a great question by the way um i it's the thing that i always want to know about people like because so much of our lives today so much of our, so much of the world that we sort of spend time in especially if you're like me because i'm autistic and i have adhd and i really struggle with being out and about and amongst people um and i found social media to be a really really good way for me to have uh for me to build social relationships um partly because it doesn't re- it, there's very little other distractions and i can be in control of the the uh, interactions that I have and so much of that it gets such a bad press because so many people get so upset and so angry and use it for fighting and arguing and just being horrible to each other without ever thinking of the consequences and it so as a result of that a lot of what we I see of other people comes filtered through that lens and so what I always want to know is when I meet people and I talk to people is where are they where are they when they are not Hmm. trying to be 
someone for other people? Who are they when they're being themselves? What is Where is it that they find peace? It's fascinating. It's Dana, 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 I think you've got some very clear answers. My answers are very quick, actually, uh, for this. Uh, <laughs> How would you, you first? Yeah, you well, first. mine are really quick because I am not a peaceful guy. <laughs> I, I am a man not at ease with the world naturally and often, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a restful soul uh sometimes i will completely shut off and just uh, but so so for me uh, i've only got kind of two things that provide me with great peace uh i'll just be honest uh it's um probably an empty house with uh, i've probably smoked a joint and uh, which is a rare occurrence for me nowadays uh, just to flag up to any p- professional uh, <laughs> <laughs> unless 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 you're in the business of helping me and Howard raising awareness for your amazing CBD products then we are happy to do so, so. Yeah, I've got nothing against anyone who smokes weed every day I just I just couldn't exist if I did so um, I, I very rarely so that's why the rarity of a, of a, of a small uh, joint um, some form of, of pizza and sugary drink and, and an ice cream and a movie or a football match and in that zone that, that trifecta of weed, sugar, and, and, and visual entertainment, you will find me uh, at, at peace. However, recently I've got a new one, actually, Bethany, uh, which is um, uh, in the madness of having a child, right, you do not find peace. <laughs> it definitely isn't a peaceful experience. Uh, he woke up and he was up from three till five the other night. I don't know if anyone's ever screamed at you from three till five in the morning because their teeth hurt, but let me tell you, it's not peaceful. Um, yeah. My girlfriend all the time. Wisdom teeth, <laughs> wisdom teeth coming through. <laughs> but let me tell you, right, let me tell you, there are moments, there are moments with this boy now where I look at him and it lasts maybe like 20, 30 seconds but he is at peace. He's he's happy in the world and doesn't need me to do anything, right? And it is mm. just like witnessing. Dame was talking about God and love, and it's, it's it's just like witnessing existence, like in some kind of pure form. So those are my two. Those are my it's two. Exactly what it is, Howard. Mm. Howard, like I said God is love. Exactly what it is. Is you are marveling and loving your creation mm. yes. as. Oh, as God in religious texts described as that, you know, that's someone loving your creation, yeah. but by the same token, not being able to control everything they do because they have free will. So, um, but we'll come back to that conversation. But, you know, it's, mm. a, it's a really good question in terms of peace because um, I, I have been told, and I'm sure I have, I don't think I'm necessarily on the spectrum, but I have had traits with like attention deficit and the like and stuff as well. And I think we live in a very high, highly stimulated world nowadays anyway, where, you know, we are, we our lives are a bombardment of colours and hues and tones and sounds. And so, Having peace for anybody can be very difficult. It can be very difficult. So, I guess if I, yeah, I guess I kind of can retroactively look back at what disrupts my peace. Well, let me know. It gives me peace. So, for one thing, I guess when you said about um, how do you when you're not trying to be something for everybody else, um, in a weird way, that I do find it quite peaceful, and that's probably because of the fact that I spent a lot of time being as existentially frustrated about my life and the condition it was in. So when I was having to work a nine to five in the, in the industry, I wasn't too interested in, in a place where I wasn't really, there was no idea of having a career. I found myself being a lot more troubled. Whereas I guess now that I'm able to work within the industry and have my dream job, that in itself does give me a large element of peace where I suppose you think about most human beings and their complexes or their neuroses, a lot of them will tend to revolve around their work and their career and their livelihood. So having the fortune of being able to work and do something I enjoy does give me an immense amount of peace and that in turn uh, I can project positive whereby 
it means I'm never threatened by, you know, new entrants into the market or, you know, new comedians or people sharing stuff because I'm happy where I am and I'm able to do something I never thought I'd be able to do. So you can never feel threatened about it. Um, mm. The other thing I'd say about... I think I'm just going to cut that bit out, Dane, and just send it to your manager so they have it on record for all time. <laughs> for all time. <laughs> for all time. Dane Baptiste yeah. finds peace in comedy uh, is, a, is, a, is a lovely sentence. No, I, yeah. I, 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 do you I know really what? Do, man. I, really I totally relate to that. I totally relate to that. The, uh, Kay Kurt, who was mentioned earlier, I know has been on the show, um, was, he has absolutely no idea, but he was absolutely instructive in, in helping me reach a point where I was completely at peace with my place in stand-up because Kay, if you've, if you've met him and spent time with him, he's so focused and he's like laser focused and knows what he wants and is prepared to go and get it. And I really admire him, that and him. And it reminded me of what I was like when I first started out Mm -hmm. uh, before I got so many knocks and couldn't quite do that. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing a gig with him and just talking to him about this and coming away from it going, I don't feel like I need that anymore. And yeah. that is, and that was freedom. That just felt yeah. like freedom in that moment. I was like, right, yeah, I'm not. And it's that, yeah, not being threatened by other people because there's not like a finite amount of success that we all have, you know. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and also what success means to different people. And you, and also you can't do everything because like the physicality of that would involve you spreading yeah. yourself quite thin. But it kind of means, brings on to another point where like when I first I started, before I started doing comedy, I wanted to make sure I put myself in best stead to perform the position as best as possible. Um, when I was younger, like years younger, uh, like a friend of mine, he was obsessed with ninjas. They used to have like loads of books at his dad's house and we used to read books. And one of the, the mottos of the ninja is nothing is to be feared, only to be understood. Yeah. And uh, so I always made it a point of principle that if there was any kind of, uh, I suppose, ideology or any kind of uh, interest group, minority group that I was seeing flourishing or was emerging into like, you know, dominant culture, I'd make it a point of principle to try and understand that a lot better because I feel like a lot of the time when people have opposition or discrimination, all that stuff stems from fear. If I have ever had an adverse feeling towards somebody, really doing the self-reflection and thinking, what is it about this person or their statement or what they're doing that you are not good with? So mm, like, yeah. I think, you know, doing comedy and, you know, and just your normal social interactions have given me enough time and experience to not necessarily worry about what somebody says I think about why they said it or who the person is saying it and yeah. looking at the context of that person. And, uh, you know, totally. that's, that's always kind of helped me a lot of time as well. It's like, for example, on, you know, transgender issues, I'm going to be honest with you. I personally feel like most men, when they talk about transgender women, what they mean is that like, I'm scared that I'm going to find myself attracted to a transgender yeah. woman and I have to question my own sexuality. Yeah. Whatever, there's a lot of air in the conversation about it, but the truth is, a most monks, cis, cisgender men, it's like, I'm scared that I'm going to be attracted to a woman and then I'm going to be gay without being in control of it. That's what they really yeah. mean is the fear. Yeah, now, yeah. me personally, I'm just like, why should I be afraid of that? Maybe that's how I feel. Yeah. Why, why should I be afraid of my own natural and carnal inclinations? I don't so, want to know something new about myself. Right, exactly, <laughs> that I didn't realise before. Exactly. exactly. A lot of people base their own self-image on, on that kind of thing that is like, oh, this is who I've always been. And a lot of people choose these labels that they are afforded by society to like, you know, mm. form a basis for their character. And that's not who my being is. So I've, you know, so I guess when I'm thinking something, I'm always thinking from consciousness. And I, yeah, no, and I always think like one of the most, one of the things which helped me the most in my life, the one piece of advice that helped me the most was when I first got, because um, I'm a recovering uh, alcoholic and a recovering drug addict. And when I first got into recovery and was chatting to someone um, uh, who was, she became my AA sponsor. She was this uh, sort of old Jewish woman who just, at one point I was talking to her and after about 10 minutes, she interrupted me and she went, 
you do know it's none of your business what other people think of you. Exactly. Hmm. And this, and as soon as I was able to sort of like internalize that and went, no, it isn't right. Okay. And that was just, that was a thing that was just like, oh, I don't have to take up all this mental energy worrying about what other people think of it because it's none of my fucking business. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's not, it's, it's not something you can control. You have your own yeah. will and intent. Yeah. You can't control somebody else's. And it's funny because like, like that mantra, um, you know, it's like when people say only God can judge me. Right. And it's, uh, but I'd say social media has been the, has, has ruined that ideal. Yeah. Human beings, I think were able to rationalize and process their emotions and we're a lot happy being freer and a lot freer knowing, not knowing what a collective consciousness thought about them. Yeah, I tell you what, I've got a lot of people in my life who I really didn't need to know what the fuck they were eating. I had fuck no yeah. I had no need. I had no need. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't make me like, like you more. It doesn't make me like it's you like, more. Trying to explain Twitter to anybody is it's like if you'd never seen it, it like the best thing I can think of to try and explain that, or it, all social media really, is it's that moment in a science fiction film, like in an episode of The Twilight Zone, or there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where somebody is suddenly able to hear what everyone else is thinking. Yeah, exactly that. Like, this is fucking amazing. And then very quickly, it drives them insane. And Absolutely. that's that's what it does. Well, think about this, Beth. If there is a God, and Sandra, mm-hmm. I hope you're listening to this, you know people always say, why doesn't God answer our prayers? If a God could hear everything that human beings thought, would you fucking answer them? <laughs> if, if, if an omnipotent, omniscient God and an omnipresent God can hear every inclination that most human beings have, and the same way that Twitter, you tweet what you're thinking or you do with your social media, if God is, had been privy to this from the start of creation, would you keep answering prayers? <laughs> like, if you think about just advertising towards cisgender, heterosexual men, like the internet... 80% of the advertising is geared towards a big dick, which means there is a unified theory that that is the biggest suggestion to most cis-het men. So you imagine your God, you're listening to these same prayers. Before everyone goes to bed, can I have a bigger dick? Can I have a bigger dick? Can I have a bigger dick? Is, oh, is a, six days for you not to ask me this. If everyone does, then no one does. Exactly, yeah. So, so for me, I, I, there's a real, there is a real peace from doing that. And I'd say as well that by the same token, being able to take care of the people I care about and just express it sometimes like before sometimes when your family are going through stuff a lot of the time you can get very I, I get very neurotic about like my mom she's having ailing health or not yeah. being able to help my siblings and stuff like that but I have learned particularly with the lockdown that you know my parents aren't just my parents they are human beings and they are people with their own yeah. hopes fears dreams and inclinations themselves and you know irrespective of how old somebody is no one needs someone to be like are you okay you might die like yeah, a big a big part of the piece I've experienced of more recent times has been able to have conversations with members of my family as people and not just, you know, as labels and as authoritarians and stuff. And, mm. you know, understanding their humanity and their personage has uh, given me a lot of peace. And I hope it's given them a lot of peace as well. Yeah. Well, it's a good, it's a good answer, Dave. It's a good, it's a great question, yeah. man. That's an amazing question. And, and I'd love for listeners to just drop us a line on the social media about their ways uh to to find peace uh maybe we'll find some some help for all of us uh, but it's um thank you for bringing that question it's actually brought me that's quite right brought me a bit of peace actually <laughs> discussing it in a, in a unique way that's a, sounds like someone's a bit high to me but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would, this podcast would not work if i got stoned just a quick note to all listeners if i ever if i ever got baked and tried to do this it would not work um, Here's a question from Mary Jane. How high is Howard? <laughs> you ima- I mean, the worst Here's thing about question. it. <laughs> Will you ever not be high again? 
<laughs> Maybe this is just you now. <laughs> P.S. Everybody knows. <laughs> I, was, I was just in bed. Wake up. <laughs> oh, what a nice idea of a life that would be. Um, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Thank you uh, for, for for that. No, it's it, it, it is an interesting time for for people to look inwards, and um and 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 my question carries on similar themes actually. Where I, I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that growing up with some challenging issues or elements to your person made you a better adult person? Because um, I, I I often know I'm not going to go specific with. Uh, members of family or friends and stuff, but you kind of look around at certain kids that I know and um, some of them are really fucking together. Like, (laughs) maybe they they were around when I was a kid and I was just hating them so much I couldn't notice them. But, like, to be a really Mm -hmm. together young person, to me, he's like, really? Like, you're not completely fucked up? Like, that was all I had as a kid. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you guys if if those things that troubled you as a kid made you better as an adult. Uh, Bethany, I don't know if uh, you want to start us off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think, genuinely, I think, I mean, <laughs> without wanting to sound arrogant about it, because that's this is a question that really lends itself to an arrogant answer of, yeah, I am, I am a lot better. I am a fantastic adult as a result of this thing. But honestly, I think... <sighs> Rather than making me a better adult, it's made me a more empathetic adult. It's made me recognise that I'm not the only one who's gone through the things that I've gone through. And to look at the similarities that I have with other people rather than sort of... Because it's difficult when you're in the middle of it. Because I know that I I really struggled with my mental health throughout my childhood and, and early adulthood. And once I started to work through that and once I started to be able to sort of move beyond just lashing out and into starting to be able to ask people for help and starting to be able to work on stuff like that. It really enabled me to look at the stuff that I'd been through and then see how other people had been affected by that. Cause it's this, it's that thing that, you know, that hurt people, hurt people. That's kind of how stuff works. And to recognize that, um, especially when you like, if you belong to any sort of marginalized community, you, you see what's going on and you, it's like, you're like a canary in the coal mine. You spot the danger so much quicker than everyone else. And then people don't, but anybody who doesn't spot it just thinks you're overreacting. Mm -hmm. So what it's enabled, so what I feel like it's helped me to be able to do 
as I've got older and as I've become more confident in that is to be able to look to other people and just go, I believe you and I believe you and I'm not going to question like what mm. you're saying, even if I don't understand, even if I don't necessarily understand it, I know where it's coming from and I know enough to know that I should probably believe you and then possibly if it needs to be worked out later, why? Yeah. Do it then, not I'm, immediately out of hand. Just go, no, fuck off. I'm not having anything to do with you. I'm sure you've been asked uh, a lot of very repetitive questions about your, you know, your your journey. But wh- yeah, yeah, sure. You, but what age, what age did did you feel? Because that's the one thing that always comes to me. Is I, I think it's a really interesting element of it all. Which is when age, what age did you feel? Oh God, this is. Uh, I'm, I'm this kinda, is who I am. Well, I yeah. sort of, I know, I kind of from as very, very young, I realised that there wasn't something that didn't quite add up. And I must have been about three or four years old watching a TV show. Uh, it was an episode of The Love Boat uh, <laughs> where Gopher, <laughs> Gopher, who was like the steward on The Love Boat, uh, met up with someone uh, who he thought was the sister of someone who he went to university with. And it turned out it wasn't, it was the person. And that was like the first time I ever saw anyone trans mentioned anywhere in any media and it just like in my head went right so is that a thing because this is fiction so it might just be a thing that they've made up for the sake of this but if that is a thing then that would explain a lot about how I feel about myself um and then over the sort of the next 10 to 15 years it was a gradual case of of slowly recognizing that but also seeing how the rest of society sort of reacted to that reacted to the idea of of trans people existing at all and it was always uh fear hatred or um you know something to be laughed at or something exotic it was those were all of the things um and so i knew that i shouldn't tell anybody that i cared about because again all the narratives around it were that if i told anybody that i cared about that i was trans that they would immediately disown me well and 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 representation in media of trans i mean just to be completely blunt is so fucked up when you look back at oh god yeah i've often brought up the um uh, ace ventura uh yeah yeah which is absolutely yeah. mental. Like, I mean, obviously, Ace Ventura, the character, and in, in terms of Jim Carrey, the actor, yeah, like, yeah. funny fucking stuff, right? But the yeah. plot, the main plot of that film is incredibly offensive. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's horrific. And it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, representation uh, for such a long time just was non-existent. And wherever it was existent, like, it was... It was always like in fiction. It was always that sort of story. Like you know how fucked up it is that um, if a sitcom mentions Thailand at some point, I that immediate like it's got to the point where if a TV show mentions says anyone on a TV show scripted says the word Thailand, my heart rate increases slightly and I get a slight jolt of adrenaline because I'm like, all right, okay, this is about to get transphobic. (laughs) Um, Wow. From the sort of late nineties to sort of up until like 2008, 2009, when Twitter came along, I, um, being out and being trans and having transitioned, I was part of various different like message boards and groups and they were always very insular and they always tried to protect the group, the people who were on there from anyone from outside. And then social media came along and Twitter came along and suddenly it was a large enough platform worldwide that enough trans people could talk to each other and talk mm-hmm. to each other about our experiences without it being behind sort of like closed doors. Mm-hmm. And so that a lot of cisgender people could also see what we were saying to each other and how we talked to each other and how we were experiencing our lives. And so as a result of that, that's kind of how it's, it's been a fantastic progression for so many people. It's been a way of, um, 
it's been great for the the community in that respect because it's allowed a lot more people to go oh i'm not alone and a lot of people who perhaps were trans and wouldn't have and would have continued trying to hide it have been less inclined to try and do that it's enabled people to come out and people to be more comfortable with who they are and Mm. more people to be more comfortable with their gender expression and how they and and to go actually do you know what i've never you know a lot more non-binary people who who have now gone do you know i had no idea i'd never i'd always felt like this but i had no idea that that was a thing yeah wow and are then able to do that uh, or then able to sort of express that and put it into words and i think that's a thing that's that's it's allowed us to have our own narrative it's allowed us to take control of our own narrative and as soon as that's happened obviously there's backlash because people get incredibly scared yeah, whatever it is it yeah. gets backlash don't worry about that <laughs> yeah everything gets yeah. hit but it's amazing so it's, going back, so it's going back to what we we're saying before howard is that for a lot of people in terms of peace is that a lot of people's self-esteem is very much rooted in them having a privileged or superior position within society so yep. when they realize, particularly within a capitalist society, that they have to compete for resources and opportunities mm-hmm. like everybody else, it's really not so much about the nuance of a particular marginalized group. It's just equal competing, which yeah. is very, which is people find very difficult, especially where Darwinist theory is so like mm-hmm. survival of the fittest. And so, you know, this idea about survival and stuff, I think people find very daunting and it kind of brings out the worst in us. There's a really interesting Harvard study that was done, a psychological study, where they um, asked groups of people and they did it within Harvard and they did it outside to, you know, to make sure that like they do with a lot of these things, um, where they replicated it to just ask people whether they would prefer to live in a world where everybody got, uh, everybody got $250,000 a year and they got, uh, $200,000 a year, but everything that was around was the same price as it is now. Nothing had increased in price. So comparatively, they'd be a lot richer than they are, but they'd be slightly less rich than everybody else. Um, and Or if they would prefer to have more money, but be poorer than they are now and have everyone else slightly hmm. poorer than them. And 50% of people, every time it was replicated, went for they would rather be poorer, but richer than everybody else. And it's, it kind of ties into the idea of, you know, why the super rich become super rich when they have money that they can't possibly spend yeah. and they want to get more and more and more. It's because it's no, it's not to them. It's not about having enough. It's about having more than everybody else. Mm. Yeah. And then, being, and, then, and then being on the wheel in that cycle of needing to do it all the time. I yeah. mean... It's not just money. It goes into everything else. It's like resources. Yeah. It's lives. It, it they've got a better house than I have. I want. I want to have more than that. It's yeah. It's it's what goes and feeds the conflict between us. Uh, absolutely. As soon as human beings were able to see themselves in mirrors, when it's all the shit kicked off. But I'd say, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, your answer is almost identical to mine, Bethany. In that, I think my experiences, are the more adverse ones I've had in my youth, have allowed me to be a lot more empathetic. Um, but at the same time, I've always been someone I'd like to think has had a thirst for knowledge and I've always kind of sought enlightenment whenever I could. And there has been some very pivotal points in my life where people have questioned my quest for enlightenment and that's always been real beneficial. So I'd say, do you know what, in reflection as a child, um, I don't think there's anyone I went to school with directly who's uh, who's uh, reassigned their, their changed their gender over time. Mm-hmm. Not, so I didn't really name it, have direct contact with people that are trans. But the people that have come out maybe as homosexual since I've been to school and stuff, none of it's been particularly surprising. It's probably been, there's been patterns of behavior stuff I've been able to pick up on. And it's kind of like, well, I could see that, you know, years ago. And, you know, where some people weren't able to articulate or, you know, some people behave in a very adverse way because Mm. of fear to something they're not used to seeing. For me, I was always just very curious about everything anyway. And, you know, I suppose I grew up in a household where it wasn't particularly, uh, 
restrictive, but my parents um, did adhere to a lot of traditional tenets, like children are seen and not heard. You must carry yourself a certain way in the home. Mm-hmm. So any opportunity to be outside was just like a anthropological study for me, where it's like I get to see so many different people from, you know, different worlds and cultures. And so I would always kind of take it in and just kind of gorge on that opportunity. But I would say, Howard, you know, it, and interestingly as well, I think that 50-50 is correct because on the one hand, Howard, like hurt people hurt people, but I also feel like people say that the, um, the soul is forged in suffering. So your ability to empathize and connect with other human beings is normally based on you being able to understand, you know, the gravity of a tragedy or a trauma someone's experienced yeah. and be able to have a kind of commonality of that. That's normally how most human beings kind of rapport build. Um, or I guess on the other hand, it's like it's projection as well, where sometimes people try and recreate the same kind of environments and paradigms where they may have suffered their trauma in order for them to have control over the same thing and kind of process it. So, you know, it manifests in uh, a number of different ways. So. You know, on the one hand, you do, you do get people who are all made all the better for their experiences and they can, you know, you have a you have a Martin Luther King who will go and try and bring peace and harmony to the entire world. On the other hand, you have like a Milo Yiannopoulos where it's kind of like you have that kind of Stockholm syndrome where it's almost as if like you try and recreate, try to, you yeah. know, replicate your oppressors in order to, to have to control over the kind of narrative and stuff, yeah. which, you know, is for me, I always find is a very destructive way of being because... If yeah. you are someone that's experienced trauma and then you inflict that same kind of trauma on someone else that you perceive to be equally vulnerable, what you're yeah. doing is, I believe, philosophically, is you are validating the trauma that you suffered. Because yeah. because you, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I, as I call to my friends, it's like, you have to go back to go back and kill the monsters under your bed. Because yeah. by you, you first of all, have to acknowledge you were maybe the victim of trauma and also acknowledge the fact that you weren't deserving of that trauma, even though you have experienced it, whether it's in your home or not. And then it's a question of like, you know, working towards extinguishing that within yourself rather than allowing that to replicate on other people because what you don't want to do is validate this. And and I feel like that's something I endeavor myself as well is that like I don't yeah. try and do to people what has been done to me because by me doing that, it means it was okay for it to be done to me in the yeah. first place. Yeah, it's, I think it's that thing when you look at people like uh, like Milo and you look at some of the other people that, because um, it's always that thing of like, if you want to try and figure out whether or not your side are the baddies, uh, have a yeah. look at, at whether or not you can provide have a look at whether or not whenever anyone calls you out on it, whether you just immediately go, how can I possibly be? Because I have some non-representative members of that marginalised group who are on my side. Because what happens when you're in a marginalised group and you get, um, and you get, you receive that trauma, you're in the, you're in that trauma. It's quite a well-known sort of, uh, psychological thing that happens where people, a, a number of them will go and, try and sell out everyone else in order to, for proximity to power just because that's oh, yeah. which makes them feel comfortable because it's like yeah. right i can't change the world but what i can do is try and be friends with the bully so that they will ignore me i'm i'm not like them remember if they're facing exactly they're facing this way they're not looking at me yeah absolutely. And, and for me, it's a very simple principle and it's like and and, and just to elaborate when you say how i believe that like our formative years are from zero to seven and then it's not like we're not capable of maturity but i think most of the coping strategies and our reactionary, um, our reactions to stimulus and situations doesn't tend to change that much from when you're a child. Because myself, I always feel like, you know, I can always revisit my inner child or my younger self or reflect on experiences from my childhood. And I can be like, I would have probably done the same thing if mm. I could now. I mean, the main difference normally is that maybe I wasn't able to articulate or I didn't have the experience to react to something yeah. a lot of the time. But for me, mainly, like I would have dealt with things in the same way. And I think like, Sometimes a child, a childlike approach to certain situations tends to be the best way only because of the fact that like children are normally most preoccupied with their own self gratification and happiness. 
like most people. It's only when they have to become a functioning member of a society that they have to temper their feelings and emotions in order for them to conform or fit within a circle. But I think, you know, if you can go back to being very childlike and be like, does this make me happy? Or does this make me feel safe? Does this make me feel vulnerable? If the answer is yes, then it's probably not a good situation for me to be in. I think a lot of the time we are aware of these kind of esoteric truths and then we kind of layer it on with like, but I've got to pay my salary. I've got to have a pension. I've got to support my family. And And we've created all of these new labels and ideas and all of these kind of new aspects of social etiquette, which aren't actually that beneficial to us, but it's how we think we should be. Um, And I've always like, especially over the last 10 years where I've been, you know, doing comedy, I've definitely tried to move away from that and I find it to be beneficial. But I really feel like it can go one of two ways. But I think most people who do acknowledge and process their trauma efficiently. And, you know, most human beings, because we're not actually predisposed to conflict anyway, I think sometimes having traumatic experiences at least can give you a sense of mutuality or commonality with other people. And so it's kind of like, you know, hurt people, people, but at the same time, I feel like the soul is forged in suffering. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone's been through something, they obviously will have a certain level of humility to them. Like there's a reason why the uh, etymology of humility and humanity are very similar. So there's there's an element... I hope that our listeners have enjoyed those answers as much as I have, because I think we could just talk about that one for the rest of the day. It's it's kind of, it's fascinating, isn't it? You're looking back on your childhood, I think. I often, I often think it's, it's cursed me a little bit, as in, like, I'm trying to rewire myself, Uh, you know, kind of. But there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. Like, it's your brain, it's a organ of that level of complexity why not rewire it I just sometimes wish I hadn't I would just sometimes wish I hadn't had it from the start (laughs) I wish I'd I'd known that because I keep falling into these old traps you know you can have but it's um it's it's such a fascinating thing you know no I don't you know I just I'm not going to say exactly who I'm talking about but I've got got one person I know whose childhood seems to genuinely be full of nothing but happiness and I'm just looking at him thinking god something's going to go horribly wrong in your adult life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't do that. Because that, I mean, that, that could happen, but you don't, don't, don't necessarily wish for that. Because no, I don't wish for it. I'm not wishing for it at all. It's, it's no, actually oh, yeah. just more fear for this person because it's just like everything's so good in their adult life. I'm just like, fucking hell. You know, yeah, it's like, how will you cope with it? It's like I had, mm. I had like the worst sort of three years of my life about eight years ago. I got, uh, I got dumped just before I was supposed to get married. Then I got a long-term illness, which then developed into chronic fatigue syndrome. Then I went and broke my leg really badly and then had a bad reaction to it. And over the course of like two years um i had six really close friends die um in a really short space of time and just every single day something horrific was happening and then i broke it was at the end of it when i broke my leg and then i had the reactions to the metal and i couldn't walk for 18 months and all the way through it people were just like how are you coping with this and one of the ways that i helped myself to be able to get through that was to be able to go at least it's happening to me rather than i could name half a dozen of my friends who i honestly don't think would be able to survive this and i know that i can so By comparison, that is pretty much the only place I can sort of be mentally to sort of to process. To no, no, again, I told you, God is love, and you love mm-hmm. your friends, so you are happy mm-hmm. to make that sacrifice and be a martyr for their happiness. Mm-hmm. So again, I totally get that notion. It's probably time for your question, Dane, uh, which I know you've got, and um, yeah, great to hear what you what you want to ask. Well, I'm going to keep it very over and almost quite obvious. And yeah. uh, so, in a nutshell, uh, Bethany, obviously. The styrene in banana, cucumber, and tofu was yep. a great look, and I hope you enjoyed the experience. Um, That's wonderful. I said you're doing amazing work so far. I mean, obviously in the creative industry as well as your interest in a popular, what's now popular culture like comic books and the like. Um, 
you know, you, you mentioned before that like all of the early representations of the trans community were negative, which I'm also aware of. But I do remember a anime and a manga called Ramna Half. Right. I've not, I've actually haven't seen that. So, so he's a martial artist that um, took a bath in hot springs, but if he is in hot and cold water, his gender changes accordingly. Ah, cool. And I remember like reading that comic in brief, but it was a phenomenon that everybody was comfortable with. Yeah. And for me, I was kind of like, well, people seem to be fine with that. And I also had, you know, a quite avid interest in mythology when I was younger and stuff as well. Uh, because of comic books, I imagine. Yeah. Where again, the change, you know, changing of gender and a reassignment of gender was not a crazy concept. Um, and then, and this is not me being like a long way of saying, I've got a transgender friend, blah, blah, blah. It, just, <laughs> it, it, it allows for me, it allows for that aesthetic to be normalized in my mind anyway. And mm, so, yeah. you know. Um, but what, I guess what I want to ask overall is that, like, you know, given obviously you have a keen amount of avid interest and have actively been involved in being a trailblazer for the trans community. Um, I would say I would like to ask you maybe over to say a timescale of like over the last five years, where would you say uh, you've seen the most positive portrayals of uh, the trans community? Or is there a, in a very short space of time, how would you say the journey has been over the last five years? And I know you can't be a spokesperson for the entire community, but me and Howard are otherwise completely unenlightened. So <laughs> I was like, I was wondering, is everything good? How are you guys doing? So by the same token, yeah. you can extend this, question to the trans community i'm asking as another person how are you guys doing how are you feeling about this? yeah do you know what i think like over the last five or six years it's been re- it's been a really interesting journey because it's it's been the fastest that i've seen the progress for the trans community but also at the same time there's been so much more pushback the pushback has become so much more pronounced um i yeah it like that's the quality of representations has got so much better. They've started getting more and more trans people in, not just for sort of uh, uh, sensitivity readers for scripts, but there are more trans people in every level of of the industry within within uh, television and, and so on, and also in so many other industries in in, in film and in um, tech and like just so many more places. There are so the many w- more trans. The Wachowski twins. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, oh, siblings. Sorry, siblings. No, siblings. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the Wachowski, but like, it's interesting that you should like to, uh, talk about mythology and, uh, the, the things that you're interested in because yeah, for the whole history of humanity up until uh, like the 19th century, there was a lot less, um, there was a lot less of an idea of such strict and rigid gender mm. roles. Um, and trans people have been around for as long as people have been around. Absolutely. Um, and our stories have been out there. And what happened was throughout sort of like the, the 18th, 19th and early 20th century, uh, historians and people who were involved in those things did the same thing that they do when, when they do anything else. So they just go, uh, let's go and put this through our lens. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, things like in, um, in uh, yeah, in, in the, uh, the, uh, the Iliad, the fact that Achilles, uh, his 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 uh, his friend, I think, is how it's <laughs> is how a lot of the nineteenth century uh, translations of it have it, dies, and he asks that when he dies, can he have their ashes mixed together so that they can be together for all eternity? And people go, yes. So they were friends. <laughs> Clearly, they were just <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah like the Spartans, <laughs> like the Spartans, like in the three hundred with the Spartans, and I'm like, for a soldier, he's taking that guy's death real hard. 
yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Real, you know, and it's real hard. You know, and there are so many things like that, like LGBT representations throughout history, where they've just gone, oh no, it's just uh, yeah, two friends who did that. This oh, this woman who went and hid in uh, in the bed of her boss uh, of her of the of the lady of the manor that she worked for every night for fifteen years as a joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, also, also uh, is it uh, what is it? Uh... The King King James, who was with uh, Buckingham Palace, is named after his lover, Lord Buckingham, they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Killed his wife, innit? Because he was like, I want to be with my male lover. Yeah, and so many of these things that like were that were happening, and then it was as it became codified and as it became, the, the, you know, the, the, that sort of age of, of of the Victorian era, as they went through that sort of thing, it, like so much of it was either erased out of history or it was like, no, this is how things are and we don't really talk about that. And so what's been interesting over the last sort of five or six years in terms of how the trans community is uh, and re- trans representations in, in, in media have gone is that it's just meant that we, we, we've we been able to undo some of that. Uh-huh. Uh, but then, you know, on the other side of that, there is there's the same 10,000 people on Twitter who are absolutely furious about anything to do with trans people existing, who every Sunday will go on and say something transphobic just to try and get as many trans people to be upset by it so that they can then dogpile them until they say something horrific, screen cap it and then go, see, see what these people are like. Yeah. That happens so, like pretty much every week that's happened for the last five years or so. And it, it's, it's that same sort of cult behavior that you get in certain religious sects where they go, right, go out and try and convert people. It's not because they want to convert people because they know it won't convert people. It's because they know that if you go and send somebody out from your little church to go, would you like to join our church? And people go, no, fuck off. When they get back to the church and everyone's lovely, it's like, yeah, they're horrible outside, but you're lovely in here. It's a way of making bonds with people. It's how you keep people. It's like, yeah, it's a like really old school brainwashing technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's it's easy to focus on that. But one of the things that I've tried to do over one of the things that I've personally tried to do over the last like five or so years is I completely got out of all of those arguments. I'm not arguing my humanity with anyone. I don't have to uh, because I've tried mm-hmm. it and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The, the worst thing you can do is engage on their terms. So instead I just try and live my life as happily and as positive as I can do. Um, and it's great to see that there are more representations coming through. Um, I still personally, because of having grown up with that and having grown up with such horrific negative representations of trans people as I was growing up and, and it nearly, because I had a nervous breakdown before I came out, I'd reached the point where I, thought that my only that like my two choices were to kill myself or to lose everybody that I'd ever cared about. And if I killed myself then at least they would think that I at least it would save them the embarrassment and the horror of having to cope with me living my life as who I am. Right? Uh, I think I feel I feel like that is and it's that sense of selflessness, yeah, that it seems to be the plight of so many people that want to come out and stuff like that as well. Because I, yeah. I, I, I had a friend and like, just going back to you saying before, Howard, about like, you know, being mm. able to to uh, be the same, like go through experiences and be able for those to filter into your empathy. I had a friend who like, uh, I went to school with years ago, saw him recently and he said he came out and I was like, oh, why don't you tell me, man? It would have been cool. And he was like, Dane, remember how we grew up? Like, hmm. it wouldn't have been cool. Yeah. I'm like, I would have understood. But he's like, yeah, maybe you would have understood, would have understood, but you knew the kind of environment we lived in. And, I, yeah. and when I, he said that, I was like, all right, I do understand. But like, for the most part, it, like, that's the same rationale that a lot of people have. It's like, I won't, I, my shame won't be a burden to other people. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. And, and so as a result of that, the sort of the, the, the aftermath of that is that I still, find it quite difficult to watch things where I know that there's going to be trans characters in it. Um, 
I find it difficult to engage with my own community on that level because for me to, with it, in certain things, it still feels like danger to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's been done so really badly difficult. in the past, right? Because it's been done so badly, yeah. And because, because it seemed to only ever have like three three storylines. It was the hot trans woman that no one realised was trans and had therefore mm-hmm. tricked a straight guy into sleeping with her. Mm-hmm. Or it was what was quite clearly... Uh, a cisgender guy in a dress uh, who was predatory. Those are like the two, those are like the two yeah, tropes yeah. that you would have. <laughs> yeah. And to see that repeated so often and to just, to see that things that you enjoy and things that you're watching hate you. <laughs> hate yeah. you. Oh, oh, mate, preaching to the choir. <laughs> <and> fucking <laughs> despise you and do not want you to exist. I don't think, people, I don't, that's it. I mean, that's the part of people don't understand about inclusion or representation is the fact that like you don't understand what it does for a someone's psychology just to see someone on a billboard that looks like you smiling. Yeah, like, people, people don't understand like the importance of that if you've not experienced that, and because that's the yeah. privilege that privilege of normalcy or the normalcy or the a- normalcy of aesthetic. A lot of people don't understand that. Like you said, if people yeah. watching TV and all media suggest that you are a figure of hatred, people understand what that would do to somebody's yeah. comforts. And so for me, the best, the best representation, the best trans representation I think I've ever seen on any TV show or, or anything that I've watched was, is the character of Taylor in, uh, Billions, who hmm. is a non-binary character played by a non-binary actor. And I, I got to that part in the second series and was so nervous watching that. Like I had dry mouth watching the episode wow. as Taylor walks in. And talks to Bobby Axelrod, which of course I love the show, but like Bobby Axelrod, that is definitely a placeholder name. They got to- <laughs> <laughs> He's a billionaire. We'll call him Bobby Axelrod. We'll call him something better later. Like, it might, it might as well have just called him Rich White Man. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like, you know, in the movie Taken, when like the teenage, there's a clear placeholder in that because the teenage girls, it's like they've gone, oh, they're going to go off and follow a band around Europe. What band? Uh, uh, we'll say you too for now, but we'll find out what band feels like. <laughs> what are the kids like nowadays? Oh, they love that bond. Yeah, and they haven't. Yeah, and they haven't. So in the film, it's that they're going to watch you uh, too. But yeah, um, and so when the character, when when they walked in, they walk into Bobby Axelrod, and it's such like a macho environment in that TV series in Billions, and they walk into Bobby Axelrod's office, and they say, my name's Taylor, and my pronouns are they and them. And Bobby Axelrod goes, great. And that was it. <laughs> that was literally, and then to see someone who is non-binary, who is trans, who is existing in this, like what you would consider to be quite macho environment, but being treated with respect by the sort of people who call themselves alpha males hmm. <laughs> was just, for me, that was like, uh, as far as I was concerned, that is like one of the best representations that I've seen and it spoke to me particularly about being able to get over that particular hurdle because I recognise myself in that within the comedy within the comedy industry. A sub question on a, on a concept of, of comedy: Has there been any instance where I've been flippantly transphobic or ignorant of you as a person? No, no, not at all. No, um, I'm try- I, like honestly in my my experience as a comic. One of the things that I found out that was really quite funny is I had no idea that there are lots of comedians on the UK circuit doing jokes about uh, about trans issues because yeah. 
none of them have ever dared to do it when I've been in the middle. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Except for, there was only one person who's ever like had the fucking guts to to like go. Actually, do you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to do this bit, and I don't care. Um, and that was Adam Rowe. Um, and I like I just heard the start of it, and went, all oh, right, okay, and then didn't listen to the rest of it because I was backstage and something else was going on. I went, all oh, right, okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, mostly, like I had absolutely no like the amount of people who've gone. Oh, so what do you think of? all of these uh, cis male comics who've got all of these opinions on 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 trans issues. And I was like, I've not heard any of them. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> this has been a, I mean, will you come back on the show? We need to do this again, right, Dane? Because it's been oh, yeah, of course. superb. Absolutely. Uh, I think we've got one of our guests locked in for the next live show. Uh, <laughs> oh, please. Always a, always a pleasure to see you in break. I would break. love to. Um, Thank you so much, uh, Dan. It's always a pleasure. Um, but, um, I really, I'm, I'm really grateful for this, and it's something I definitely want to continue as a, as a conversation in cool. general, not just on the podcast, but in general. But for yeah. uh, anyone who wants to find out more about your work and more about the topics we've discussed, where can they find your stuff, please? Um, I'm on Twitter, and um, I do a daily, I do a lunchtime um, chat show. Lovely. It's been Great. an absolute pleasure. Um, it's been a real joy, and I know. And so, sorry, listeners, I'm sure you were wanting us to keep going on that last question because I think there's about another twenty different layers. I mean, the, the only thing I can add to it, what I was thinking, is that isn't it exciting to think where representation is going to go in this next decade for for, for trans the tra- uh, on screen? Like, there seems like what you're saying, the surface has only just been scratched, really, right? Uh, yeah, so I think so. Go. I think so. And I think what's exciting is that now people are more excited about asking about these stories. I mean, I've been working with various different TV channels and production companies to try and get stuff made. And I can definitely feel that there's a change in the way that they're going about things. Because six years ago, when I was, when they, when I'd first been on TV and they were like, we want to make something with you, it felt like they wanted to want to make something with me. But yeah. they didn't actually want to make something with me. They wanted to be able to sort of say, oh, well, we so tried say, to do say this. They, yeah, exactly. And say they developed it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas now, it's a lot of people going, we really do want to make this. Can we get this made? How do we get this made? How do we get onto this? And it's it's interesting to see that because we're now reaching a point where our stories are starting to be told by us, about us, and through our lens rather than what we mean to cisgender people. Well, that's oh, so exciting. I love that. We love yes. to see it, love to hear it. Bethany, thank you so much for coming up on the podcast. Thank you uh, so much. We should catch up very, very soon and I'll yes, get please. your feedback regarding uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier once yeah. the series is done. Oh, definitely. <laughs> You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Bethany Black. You can follow her on Twitter at Bethany Black or Instagram at BethanyBlack1978. The show was produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.